Well, as Cody mentioned, we're in a series, we're the second week into a series called The Finish Line, where we're looking at what does it really take to finish the race? How do, how do we finish well? How do we live without major, major regrets or um, thoughts of, you know, desiring to start all over again? How, how do you end up at the end of your life knowing that, hey, you ran the race well, you lived life well? Um, that's what last week we focused on mainly. What are the traps? What are the major traps, or we call them threats, um, that could disqualify us? And I challenge everyone here to think through, what is that one threat that, that, that is going after you to keep you from really finishing well? I think all of us, we struggle, we deal, we're tempted with different things, but it's very important to know, what is my vulnerable most vulnerable spot in my life? What is that vulnerable area? And I challenge you to, to think that through. And it's easy to just go through your life and never really do that. Just to live life and, and to uh, be aware of vulnerability, but to never really focus on the fact that you need to protect yourself in certain things to prevent you from disqualifying and not finishing the race. Uh, scripture says so much about this whole area of being faithful to the very, very end. And the writers of the scripture, God, the men that God used to, to pen the pages of scripture, God spoke through these people. This was a big part of their message was hang in there. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on towards that finish line. And so there's these obvious threats. We looked at them last week. Maybe you identified some things. I talked about different things like coworkers that uh, maybe too close in relationships with the opposite sex. Maybe it's the way you talk to, to people that... Um, could border on flirting and that could create compromising situations. Um, maybe it's just a number of other struggles that you know you face. But those are obvious threats. Today what I want to look at is the less obvious, those more subtle distractions that come up in life, those subtle issues that prevent us from really finishing the race well. The song that Cody just sang and the band led us in, it's, it's a slow fade. <clears throat> what a powerful message. And, and it really captures the heart of of what we're talking about today, that, you know, you don't just give in in a single day. You know, people don't just crumble in a day. There's this process of compromise. There's this process of being distracted over time. And all of a sudden you realize, man, how did I get this far off track? I didn't realize it. That's this idea of distraction. And uh, what I want to do today is I want to answer a few questions. One is, um, what could distract us? What does the Bible say are the main distractions that could disrupt our focus from finishing well. And then how do we battle those distractions? Um, You can follow along if you'd like on your listening guide. Most of the notes and verses are listed on here. And the first thing is this, finishing well, it really requires that we identify the potential distractions. Not just be aware of the threats, but you also have to know what are the things that could just distract me and move me off course in life. This whole idea is found in in a variety of places, but first we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 15. And you have um, listed in the outline, I think, verses 11 through 15. But I want to look, we have it up on the the screens for you. We have this um, this whole passage. Jesus is doing ministry in a region, and he's traveling, and there's crowds of people following him. And he's, he's healing sick people. He's casting out people who are having problems with evil spirits. Or he's casting the spirits out of the people. He's... And he's comforting people, he's supporting people, he's talking with people, he's just doing ministry. And there's this large crowd that just keeps pressing in on him. And it says this in verse 4, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. 
And Jesus often did this. He told parables or short stories to lay, as- to lay aside some sort of a reality that was going on. So here's the reality. All these people are pressing in on Jesus. They want his time. They're, they're kind of saying, we want to follow after you. We want to learn who you are. And so he lays his parables out alongside this whole experience to just kind of drive home some points. And this is what he says. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And he was scattering, as he was scattering the seed, some of them fell along the path. And it was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So the good soil actually produced much more than just the single seeds that were, or the seeds that were planted. It is multiplied. Then it says, when he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. And then he clarifies what this whole thing means. Because even though he says you, you ought to know what these things mean, he still has to clarify to his disciples. And Verse 11 says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. He, he, he gives the story, or he gives the parable, and then he explains it. And there's really there's four different types of, of individuals as he's describing in this passage okay the first one he says you know were these seeds that were on the path they didn't quite make it to the to the soil they just they remained on the path and it says that the enemy it says the birds came along and snatched them right off the path so they never even were able to um, make any you know root to the ground the birds just came along and snatched them and he says the birds represent the enemy the devil who who prevents God's truth from really ever landing in our life and taking any root. So what this might look like is how people may be exposed to God's truth and God's ways, whether it's in a church setting or through friends or family or just they hear this message, they read things, but it never really lands beyond um, a cognitive or like just taking it in. They hear it. But it doesn't really take any root at all. The enemy, he blinds. He's able to blind people from really making sense of what God's word has to say. From, he also is able to just keep things fuzzy in our lives, never really allowing us to bring things into real focus. And so that's the job. You know, that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to just keep things fuzzy. And so for this kind of person, they make no progress. No growth bears up in their life. And then Jesus says, there was this other seed that were in the rocks okay and then the heat comes and the heat just they you know they they make a little bit of progress but the heat burns whatever little growth there really was at that point and um this is kind of like on sunday you have great intentions to walk with god but by monday the pressure of life comes in settles in pressure at work pressure at home pressure in finances whatever the pressure might be just the heat comes in and it just burns at the good stuff that god's trying to produce there's not enough root 
in, in the person's life. And you might feel like, yeah, that really describes where I'm at right now. You know, there's just, there's not much root, and the pressure just never lets up. It's like Riverside Summers, you know, the heat just doesn't let up. And, and, and so it's hard for, for God's word and things to really take root and change to begin to happen. And so he says there's that kind of person who just never gets beyond the fact that pressure burns up the good stuff. And then he says there's this group that there's thorns, he says. And the thorns, they choke out. Some verses say the weeds, some call it the thorns. But these, these weeds and thorns, they choke out the growth that, that was happening. Okay? There's actually growth occurring, but there's weeds spread throughout the good growth. And over time, if you have a, if you have a house and you've got a garden and you've ever tried to do any planting and you've got some good things happening... All of a sudden, you know, a weed's there one day, and then the next day you look at it, and it's like five feet tall, and you're, how did that happen? Well, all the good stuff in your, all the nutrients, everything's going to feed that weed, right? And so what do you have to do? You have to pull the weed out. Otherwise, it will choke the life of the good, you know, that plant you're trying to grow. And oftentimes, if you don't do any weeding, the a plant will just remain immature. It may be there, but it's tiny, and you're looking at these weeds, and they're just overshadowing it. And so he says the weeds are like riches, pleasure, and worry. And what they do is they come into our lives and they choke out God's ability to grow us because they take all of our energy and they consume us and they're distracting. And that's, that's what we're focusing on today, how these things, worry, riches, and pleasure, are like subtle distractions. They're not these obvious threats, but they're subtle distractions that slowly over time get us off course to where our lives move in a totally different direction. And so I want to flesh these things out because I think these three areas, we need to understand how they work and we need to know how to manage them. So God says this about them. First, he talks about worry. He says this about worry. Worry accomplishes nothing. Luke 12, verses 22 through 27, Jesus talks about this whole area of worry. And he says this. So Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Notice he says, do not worry. That's a command. And sometimes we think, oh, worrying, it's not a good thing. I'm kind of a worrier and I, things eat away at me, but it's, you know, it's not that bad. It's really a command. He's saying, do not worry. When we, when we choose to worry, we're actually moving into, into something that's really you know, disobedience. It's an area of disobedience because he's saying you've got to battle with this whole area. Life is more than food, he says, and the boot and, and the body more than clothes. Consider, consider. I stopped there for a second. Almost lost my place. Consider the ravens, he says. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life, since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. It's interesting. This whole idea of worry. What worry is, is the word itself in the Bible, in the New Testament, New Testament was written in Greek, and the language there, it actually means to be anxious or to... To have this distracting care. Okay, so it's, it's thoughts that become major distractions. Consuming, anxious distractions. So you're trying to go about your day, but these nagging thoughts just keep coming up. Things that are on your mind, things that are bothering you. 
concerns about how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to, you know, how am I going to handle this situation? How am I going to, these thoughts, they just won't leave us alone. They just come into our head. And those are distractions. Those worries can prevent us from really growing. Maybe God's trying to do something in your life. You start making progress and all of a sudden the nagging thoughts come up and they just don't let up. That's what this, that's what this means. And he says, who of you, you know, who of you can add time? You know, why do you think, he says these phrases, who of you and why do you? It's because these are areas that are out of our control. We cannot accomplish anything through our worry. And he's just trying to remind us of the fact that these are issues, that the issues that usually consume us through worry, they are things that are really, they're far out of our control. These are things that God handles. He takes care of, he takes care of our basic needs in life. The scripture promises that. Worry also exposes undeveloped faith. Undeveloped faith. Luke twelve twenty eight. he goes on and he says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, he's, he's, he's making a strong st- statement at them because of worry, saying that, that it, worry is a mark of undeveloped faith. It's the word um, little really just means few, slight. It's an it's a economic term that just talks about the smallest portion, the smallest amount. And so what it does is it reveals that our faith our faith is kind of pint sized and it needs to grow. It needs to grow up and begin to take real root. We need to move past some of the just the nagging thoughts. But we all deal with worry, I think, at different points. Thoughts are very normal. There's nothing wrong with thoughts. And, and even, um, uh, you know, you have certain concerns in life. But when the concerns turn into this nagging, constant, you know, worry, then there's a real problem. And our faith, it stays undeveloped because of it. We can't move past this immaturity because of worry. Another thing about worry is it becomes all-consuming. And that's really implied in this passage, but look at verses 29 through 31. It says, And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs around after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So he's, he's basically saying, don't set your heart, don't position your heart on getting all these questions solved on trying to live a worry-free life. Don't set your heart on that. God himself will meet your needs. He'll see to it. If he can meet the needs of the birds, the flowers, if he can make sure that they're nourished and growing up, why do you think he can't do that in our lives? That's what he's saying. He's don't set your heart. Our hearts, he's saying, protect, in a sense, protect what goes on in your heart. Our hearts are our guidance. They're like our central guidance system. And whatever we set our heart on, it directs the flow of our life. A friend of mine says that our hearts are like a cockpit of a plane. And you know the cockpit, it's sealed behind closed door, right? Because everyone knows if you can take over the cockpit, you can control the plane. And so they seal the cockpit off from the general public because, you know, terrorists and whatever, you know, they bust in through the cockpit and they'll, they'll take the plane wherever they want it to go. It's the same with our heart. Our hearts have to be guarded. If we set our heart on the wrong thing, it directs our life in a direction that's not pleasing to him. And it's not beneficial for us and so we just have to watch this this but it will gnaw at us if we choose to set our heart on worry it just consumes us my aunt my favorite aunt um her name was aunt rachel she passed away about eight years ago and 
she was, I just have great memories of growing up and visiting with her and my uncle, and she'd always make these fun uh, recipes for us. Just she made, she made breakfast fun, she made lunch fun, and dinner fun, and, and I attribute a lot of my eating, I think, to just her and the different things she would make. Um, you know, if you had to eat oatmeal, she'd put a scoop of ice cream in the oatmeal, uh, vanilla ice cream, and, and, you know, just, that was great, you know, and well, I, I remember later on in her life, um, she just began to give in to worry. And it just started small. It was this subtle thing. After, her, after my uncle died, she just began to worry. And, and the last 10 years of her life, um, you know, there was just, I, I, I remember from when I was a child to where, when I was a teenager and adult, to where there was just, just this major change in her disposition. She could not make progress because of worry. It just consumed her. These different thoughts would just nag away at her. And the truth is she could never recover that time. When she died, she was never able to, to, to buy back that time. And that's what Jesus is saying. Who of you can add time? None of you can add a single hour to your life. And so this, this whole area of worry is a major distraction that I think we need to be aware of and work against, do battle against worry, especially if this is something that you feel is already eating away at you right now. Here's what God says about this second area that Jesus talked about. He talked about worries, riches, and pleasure. So the second area is riches. God says this about riches. Riches may shift our focus towards empty pursuits. Now again, just like worry is thoughts gone gone extreme, riches is money um, and the desire for riches. And you're going to see some of these passages. This can become unhealthy. God God allows us to use money. He's, He's actually made us stewards of resources to accomplish his work in the world. We need money to survive and live. And, but gone extreme, they can create real problems for us. And that's what we're going to look at here. But it may shift our focus towards empty pursuits. Look at this story that Jesus tells, another parable. Luke twelve thirteen says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So what you see in this, in this story is this empty pursuit. This man was building, his, he was building wealth and he got so consumed about building his wealth. It actually says in verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is not what our lives are to be wrapped up in. It's, but it's very easy to focus our lives on money and making more and more money. And what you see in the parable is Jesus saying, slowly this man made his life all about protecting his possessions, protecting his investments, and the final days of his life were spent with his possessions. And then, Jesus, and then God requires his life, or he takes, him, he takes him out of the world. And so now he's like, well, I've wasted my... He, he's saying, this is a waste of time. To make our lives just simply about more and more money, we end up focusing on empty pursuits 
that we may never really be able to enjoy, or they may be really short-lived. And so riches has that power to be able to to just chase after empty pursuits. Another thing God says about riches is is this: they're they're they aren't just around the corner. Sometimes we think, you know, it's just right around the corner for me. If I could just make these decisions and choices, then then my nest egg is just right around the corner. And we have to be very careful with with this. According to scripture, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich, but have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. How many times have you, you've, you've, you've had some money come, and how quickly it's gone? You know, you, you didn't expect some money, maybe it was an inheritance, maybe it was a tax refund. You know, it's, it just sprouts a wing. And you're like, where did it all go? It flew off. And, you know, and you're, you're watching it fly away. And you're like, I don't even know what happened. I didn't make those decisions. You know, he's saying, you know, again, riches is something that is, is, is you have to be very careful. You can't set our heart on it. The verse here, do not wear yourself out to get riches. This word, wear yourself out or labor not, it says, to be rich. This means to be exhausted. Don't, or, or the word can also mean to gasp. So, like, you're working so hard that you're out of breath. You're gasping because you just, you're working to get some more money. I've, I've been there, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Uh, one time I thought I'd figure out how to get rich. It was through Craigslist. And someone had tipped me off to the fact that you can, you can find free items on Craigslist. And um, so my idea, my get-rich-quick scheme was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and... and I'm going to be hunting on that free items list. And every time something good pops up, I'm going to call them. I'm going to go and buy it. And I'm going to sell it at a garage sale and get rich. You know, great plan, huh? And uh, so I'm, I'm working on the computer. And it's just consuming me, this drive to find something like a good deal that nobody else has happened to stumble upon. And I'm going to sell it for a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it, number one, it was all consuming, but two, it was like pretty elusive. It was like the, you know, I saw the riches and I'd get there. It's not there. Somebody else just picked it up. Oh, I missed it again. It flew away. And it, one time I actually, you know, found this lady who had this nice, uh, table and chairs. And it was in style back then. This was, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or so. And it was this, maybe not quite that long ago, but, there was a couch and this table and chairs, and I remember thinking, that's it. It was, it was $25 for the table and chairs, and it was free for the couch. And I called the lady, and she actually answered. Most of them, you know, oh, it's already gone, or nobody would answer. And Come on and get it. I said, I want it. I'll be right there, $25. I'll bring, you know. I saw the picture. It looked really good. So I show up, and I bring a friend. Well, the table and the chairs, it was, like, made for elves. You know, it was like the table was, like, it, on the on the picture, there was nothing to compare it to because there was a picture, but you couldn't see how small it was. Well, this was like elf furniture, and it was bigger than Barbie furniture, but it was, this lady actually used this furniture. She was a, a tiny lady, but, I mean, you can see me. I'm not a big guy, and so, but even for me, I realized my wife is going to think this is a big joke if I tried to bring this home and use it or whatever. I'm not, and so, well, I felt bad because I committed to buy this stuff from this lady. It wasn't worth $10, but I gave her the $25, I'm like, well, let me look at the couch. I go to the couch, and my friend, he's, he's laughing hysterically and trying not to embarrass the lady because he realized that, you know, I'd committed. And 
I get to the couch and the couch was full of cat hair. I'm allergic to cat hair. And she was like, I'm so glad you're here. I need to get rid of this stuff. I'm a medical student and I need to. And I'm just so I take I haul these things away. I'm sneezing because the cat hair. Of course, I put them in the yard sale. Any takers, any takers, you know, of course not. You know, I had to give away. I think I had to throw away the furniture. But this is that idea. You know, you think it's just around the corner. You think you found that idea and it flies away or you pay for it. Like in that case, twenty five dollars and a bunch of time and energy and all of that. It's just it's elusive. Scripture says also that <clears throat> riches may come at the price of great pain. First, Timothy talks about this It may come at the price of great pain. First, Timothy six, six through ten says, but godliness with contentment, contentment is I'm satisfied with what I have. What I have is enough. That's a great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. You know, this may come at the price. You might get it. You might get your riches, but it may come at the price of great pain for you, for your family, for those that are close to you. So you have to you have to manage this whole area. You have to riches in and of themselves are not bad, but the pursuit of riches and that this all consuming, it's a distraction in, in our lives that could keep us from really growing. And the, the other thing is it can create traps that that are like snowballs in our life that can take people out and things out along the way. Says Scripture says that people have even walked away from the faith because of money and the, the pursuit of more and more. And so, again, we have to manage this area. The, another thing about riches is riches demand extravagant generosity. If God pours financial blessing in your life and, and you have, you know, growing wealth, then God has an expectation on your life to be even more generous. And this is, you know... The folks that God, you know, that that, <clears throat> that God decides to to make wealthy individuals, this is the purpose. God is trying to do some of His work through their lives and through their giving, through their generosity, because He can accomplish His work through the resources that we have. That's all true. <clears throat> but there's a demand here. Look at the verses, verse 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying, even for those that are rich, there is a life that is far greater, that they can take hold of if they will pour their investment, if they will pour their treasure into people into God's mission. <clears throat> and if you're one of those folks who, who, who God has blessed with resources, then just keep in mind that might be for a season. That might just be a short season. And depending on how, you, how, how faithful you are to steward what God has entrusted to you, um, he, he, the, future te- the future will be tied to your faithfulness in the present. And so just be faithful with what he has. 
Look at this next area of pleasure. God also says that pleasure could be a major distraction. Pleasure is, um, you know, we have physical desires, we have sexual desires, we have uh, material desires. We just have our desires, things that we want in life. Now, our desires, um, many of our desires God gave to us. He gave us healthy desires. You know, you can enjoy food, but there's a limit to that. That can get out of hand. It can get out of control. It can become a real problem. He gave us sex. Again, that's a good natural desire, but there's boundaries on that. And again, these desires gone to their extreme can become problematic for us. And so when we have this all-consuming, I'm going to live for these desires, for these pleasures, then that, again, that's the distracting part of it. Look at what Scripture says. God says that pleasure can sabotage your finances. Proverbs 21, 17, He who lives, or I'm sorry, he who loves pleasure will become poor. And whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. What this means is the word loves actually can be translated to mean lives for. So he who lives for pleasure will become poor. He who lives for wine and oil will never be rich. You know, if you've got to have all all the nice things, if you're living for satisfying these desires, um, that will just eat away at your finances. It's like a cancer on your pocketbook and on your bank account, and you don't realize it. This verse isn't saying that all pleasure is bad, because God made pleasure. He gave us the ability to enjoy things. But again, it's just keeping in mind that there's a limit to to pleasure um, you might be doing all you can to save to invest and you know but if you're being led around by your desires then all you're saving all you're investing is just it's almost empty because it gets taken away god says this about pleasure also is that pleasure on the positive is a blessing within god's boundaries it's a blessing within god's boundaries there was a man named solomon who um he tried everything in life he was the wealthiest king he was a wise king. And um, I don't have this passage up on, on the screen, but one of the things that Scripture says about him is that, I think this will put some things into context. This is found in Ecclesiastes, I think, chapter 2. I'm just going to read from the Scripture. It's not up on the screen, but he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? So he, he, he's, he was trying different things to figure out what is life all about. One of the things he tried was pleasure, all kinds of pleasure. In verse, in verse uh, 8 of chapter 2, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of men. He tried everything. In another verse, he says, you know, everything that my heart desired, I tried. But he found himself empty. Well, in Song of Solomon, you have this, you have this story or this, these, this poetry describing the love of a man and his, and his wife. And Solomon, as the king, um, he had, you know, lots of wives and lots of concubines. Um, but he recognized there was something special about about this one. Look at Song of Solomon 6, 8 through 9. It says, 60 queens there may be and 80 concubines and virgins beyond number. Solomon was probably a pretty tired guy. Okay, but, but he says, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. 
the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. It, the reason why she had all this praise was because he poured his focus on her. He, this was the one that he was choosing amidst all that he had access to. He, he decided at a certain point, this is the one I'm going to aim my focus at. And in our own lives, if you're married, there are boundaries. God has given sex for the, for, the, for the relationship of marriage, for the commitment of marriage, but, and, it, and it's good within, within the boundaries. It's, it's, it's great. And, and I don't want to say, can I get a raise of hands or anything, but if you're, you know, if you're married, I think you know what I'm talking about. But outside of marriage, when you bust through those boundaries, there's, a mate, there's this gnawing distraction to take pleasure in this area to, to an unhealthy um, unhealthy end that ruins that eats away at what god has created for marriage you may not bust through the boundaries with an actual another person but maybe it's maybe it's through images maybe it's just whatever it might be these things rob us of enjoying the pleasure that god has reserved for marriage you know my, but you know that's that's the area of pleasure as it relates to sex and marriage but there's you know as it relates to food and as it relates to buying things the things that God allows us to purchase, it's okay, you know, but there's limits. There's boundaries on pouring and chasing and living for pleasure. And that's what, that's what the verses are trying to guard us against. Be careful you don't live for pleasure because that will consume you. It will distract your life. It will take you off course. So we just need to be aware of these, these distractions because they're subtle. And if we're not careful, we'll miss them. We'll, we'll, we'll not even realize we're walking down the wrong road. Look at Luke 8:15 as we wrap up. It says, "But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. For those who because they hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering they produce a good crop. The seed in the good soil, it wasn't destroyed, it wasn't choked out, it wasn't snatched away because something different happened. You know, it's interesting about the seed in the good soil. The birds were still hovering, the heat still came. You know, there was, but this, this, these seeds, they actually took root. Something different occurred here. They had a noble and good heart, or they were, there was a sense of honest and goodness. They heard and retained the message. And this is the important thing is to hear and to retain. Hebrews 5:11 through, uh, first part of chapter 6 talks about this. And it says this, we have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. This group of people had been hearing the basic things about Jesus Christ, and they weren't making any progress past it. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're not, going, you're not able to go any deeper. You're not able to mature because you're stuck on the elementary things. He says, if you need to... In verse 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. God is trying to take us deeper. He wants us to be that seed that's planted in good soil who is maturing, who's taking real root. And the way we do this is we apply the scripture, regular application of God's word, trains us to identify and deal with distraction. It's the application of the word that made the good soil different. Is They heard it and they retained it. And then they persevered or they, they 
they uh, held up under all the pressures of life. That's the word perseverance. It means hupomone, Greek word. It means to bear up under. When there's pressure coming down on you, it means you're bearing up under it and you're not caving in. You're hanging on. You're retaining what God's saying in his, in his word. You're applying it to your life. You're not just taking it in one year and thinking, that's, that's good information, and then, and then thinking nothing more. But you're, you're finding a way to allow it to go in and rest upon your heart to guide your very life. And that's, that's what causes people to finish well, is they hold on to Scripture and it, it works its way into their life through application. So that's my encouragement to you. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for, for what you have to say in your word. We thank you for your love for us, Lord, and, and how, um, how good you are, Father, and how you lead us, Lord, towards a life that's pleasing.